0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review.
1: Three martinis coming up. So glad you're along with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. We're also brought to you today by Gabby. In just two minutes, you can see how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance. Gabby, G-A-B-I dot slash martini. Jim, our long, if four days is long, national nightmare is almost over. We're three quarters of the way now through the Democratic National Convention and Last night was Women's Power Night. It was Obama Night. And uh, we'll get to all of that here in the first couple of martinis. But let's start with uh, Kamala Harris. Of course, uh, she accepted the vice presidential nomination last night. A little bit awkward to have all this fanfare and really nobody except a bunch of photographers in the room when she was done and Biden came out and the, the spouses came out and so forth. And Joe kept pointing to people as if there were people in the audience, so that was interesting. But uh, the good news here today is that the choice of Kamala Harris doesn't seem to be making much of a difference, which really shouldn't surprise a lot of people because the vice presidential choice usually doesn't. But for everyone in the mainstream media and in the Democratic Party uh, just fawning over Kamala Harris and talking about how it's a game changer and how she's this trailblazer that's going to win over so many more people to the ticket. Not the case. New York Post, an overwhelming majority of Americans, say having Senator Harris on the Democratic presidential ticket won't make a difference in how they vote. 71% of respondents said the California lawmaker won't impact their choice, while 17% said her appearance makes them more likely to vote for the Democratic ticket, and 10% said it makes them less likely to vote for the Democrats, uh, according to an ABC News Washington Post poll. Uh, The survey also shows that enthusiasm is building for Biden, although it's weird how they calculate this. 48% of his supporters are enthusiastic now compared to 28% in March. That was probably right around the time he was starting to solidify. And uh, President Trump right now has 65% strong enthusiasm Biden, of course, uh, according to most of the national polls, is actually leading the race. So, Jim, what do you make of the fact that uh, despite all the, the bated breath, all the speculation, all the hype, all the drama, Americans looked at this choice and went, yeah, it's not really going to make any difference?
0: Yeah, the, so I'm not that shocked because I looked at all of the polls that had come out after Biden announced the, the Kamala Harris election. And in almost all of them, there was really very little change, maybe a little bit of a drop of one or two points for Biden. The one exception was the CNN poll, which had Biden going from a 14-point lead to a four-point lead. Um, Now, some of this you might say is, okay. Biden had a pretty big lead pretty much since the primary uh, ended. Um, the, The pandemic is not helping the president. It may be that Joe Biden is at his ceiling. But by and large, from what we can see in these numbers, selecting Kamala Harris. Put him a little below his ceiling. <laughs> that, that didn't work. And uh, the indication that most people said, Yeah, this doesn't really impact my choice doesn't seem surprising. I suppose the Biden team could say, eh, we're not worried about it, we don't need it. But you know, nobody really aims for that. I, I suppose you could say Kamala Harris is a do-no-harm choice, and so far she's doing, it looks like, only a little bit of harm. But you'd rather not do any harm. <laughs> and this is you as you noted, this was not a, a group that was. Uh, Biden was not generating tons of enthusiasm. Now, the good news is that somebody who votes for you lethargically or or dispiritedly, that vote counts as much as somebody who marks that ballot with great enthusiasm and energy and all that kind of stuff. It might come back to haunt you if the supporters for Trump are um, more enthusiastic and call more of their friends email more of their friends they do more activism they do more effort to get out the vote and and the biden camp you know doesn't have that kind of enthusiasm but that's really kind of at the margins uh there and you know also this is not the kind of environment where people really love lots of you know knocking door to door so it may not the enthusiasm gap may not be that much of a factor but i think it's safe to say that if you're the biden camp you wouldn't have minded seeing some better numbers for kamala harris and so it's not a disappointment, but um, just another indicator that the the media really wants to see evidence that Kamala Harris was a brilliant selection and this galvanizing, energy churning uh, uh, decision. And really, there's so far there's almost no evidence of that at all.
1: No, it's true. And it's going to be fun to watch the conventional wisdom if there's not much of a convention bounce. We'll see, obviously, next week what the story on that is. But I remember in 2004 when it was Kerry Edwards and there wasn't much of a bounce. It was like one or two points. And the media all came together, at least the mainstream media, and said, the era of the convention bounces over. And then Bush and Cheney had their convention and they bumped up double digits and they had to quickly scramble to talk about uh, how the conventional wisdom was still right in in some form or fashion. So so we'll see. Uh, I mean, on the margins there, it looks like she's plus seven on leaners, uh, more likely as as opposed to less likely. I don't know what those numbers normally look like, but uh, people seem pretty underwhelmed, and ultimately this is going to come down to, Biden versus Trump, and more likely what everyone thinks of Trump. So that's generally what happens when you have an incumbent. So as people take a look at their choices for president, uh, they also can take a look at their choices for saving money on car insurance. Uh, We're all looking for ways to save money now, right? Uh, When was the last time you looked at all the different ways you're spending money that you really don't have to? And that includes on car insurance or on homeowner's insurance. Well, Now you have an easy way to do that. Now's the time to check out Gabby and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have. Gabby takes the pain
0: out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers. Just link your current insurance account and in about two minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. And if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you have the best rate that's out there. And they will never sell your information, so no more annoying spam or robocalls.
1: And I had the chance, Jim, as you know, to check out Gabby and it's really what they advertise. There are 10 very quick prompts that you put in your information, where you live, how old you are, uh, that sort of thing. Stuff you really shouldn't have to think too hard about to answer. And then at the very end, you link to your insurance policy, you see the, the comparisons and then you can decide whether you wanna make a change or not. So this is an amazing service. It's totally free to check your rate and there's no obligation. Take two minutes right now, take two minutes to see how much you can Save on your car and homeowner's insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini. And, of course, uh, this week, that's the uh, sole property of the Democratic National Convention. (laughs) That seems to be where we are pretty much every day in the bad martini. As mentioned at the top, a lot of the most famous women in the party spoke last night, Uh, not only Kamala Harris, but also Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi, uh, and also Hillary Clinton. Both Clintons being relegated to the the first hour of the convention, meaning not getting on the broadcast network. So uh, nonetheless, we want to point out Hillary Clinton. Uh, She talked about the importance of getting everybody out to vote And once again, she used herself as the victim here, Jim.
0: Joe and Kamala can win by three million votes and still lose. Take it from me. So we need numbers overwhelming so Trump can't sneak or steal his way to victory.
1: Yeah, he snuck and stole his way to victory through this thing called the Electoral College, which has been used to elect every president since the founding of the republic. Speaking of the republic, uh, Barack Obama was at uh, the Constitution Center or something close to Independence Hall in Philadelphia last night uh, to give his address to condemn Trump and to lift up Biden. And he began by talking about how important it is to exhibit fidelity to the Constitution. The one constitutional office elected by all of the people is the presidency. So at a minimum, we should expect a president to feel a sense of responsibility for the safety and welfare of all 330 million of us, regardless of what we look like, how we worship, who we love, how much money we have, or who we voted for. But We should also expect a president to be the custodian of this democracy. We should expect that regardless of ego, ambition, or political beliefs, The president will preserve, protect, and defend the freedoms and ideals that so many Americans marched for, went to jail for, fought for, and died for. Okay, first of all, it's not a democracy. It's a republic. It's a democratic republic. They always get that wrong. Uh, Jim, uh, for a guy who decided that the treaty provisions of the Constitution didn't matter anymore, or recess appointments didn't matter anymore, or pen and phone president of the second term once the Republicans had control (laughs) in the Congress, uh, that guy was extolling the Constitution last night. I also liked uh, how he denounced conspiracy theories embraced by Trump, while very shortly after that talking about how Republicans were trying to take away as many votes as possible. And then he also said that Trump sent out forces uh, to disrupt peaceful protesters. So uh, as usual, we got to parse Barack Obama.
0: Yeah. So the first thing is early before the convention was taken, CBS News polled Democrats, just self-identified Democrats, who they were most interested in hearing from in this convention. Uh, the person with the lowest score somewhere in the 30s was John Kasich, uh, which is not that surprising in part because John Kasich is technically a Republican and also no one on earth wants to hear from John Kasich <laughs> on anything. Second lowest, many people surprised, was Bill Clinton. Only 56 percent of Democrats said they wanted to hear from Bill Clinton. That was the second lowest after Kasich. The third was Hillary Clinton, which split 58 percent, 42 percent. Yes to no. So 42 percent of Democrats are like, mm, I'm good. I don't need to hear from Hillary Clinton. The, you can point out that, you know, Bill Clinton was president for 20 years ago, but I also think like Hillary Clinton does not, like there's there's a chunk of Democrats who have fond memories of Hillary Clinton, who see her as this victim, see her as this noble uh, candidate who was unfairly treated by the media, blah, blah, blah. Um, but by and large, I think most Democrats are like, no, she she had her, her time at the plate. She struck out, she really disappointed us. You should be able to beat, uh, Donald Trump. Even in, you know, in an environment like 2016, she dropped the ball. Good luck, Hillary. Enjoy Chappaqua. We're ready to move on with our lives. I don't think rolling out Hillary Clinton to play how unfair everything was is really going to, you know, the, the message. And I'm not surprised that that's why they put her in the non-prime time category. I actually didn't think that Obama's speech was bad. I thought it was pretty good. I think that this was much, much more preferable than the standard Barack Obama convention speech, which turns into, you know, we need to build an America. (laughs) An America that works. (laughs) An America that works for all of us. People start fainting in the audience because it's so terrific. Um, He loves his applause lines and the audience loves to applaud him. So it ends up going on for an unbelievably long time. And a lot of these applause lines are really just kind of mundane platitudes. Without the audience to response, the pace of the speech was quicker. It was more conversational. This was Barack Obama sitting down and saying, hey, here's why I think Donald Trump is a threat, not just to, I don't just disagree with his policies, I think he's a threat to our values, I think he's a threat to democracy. And, you know, this this was a, this was was better than usual from Barack Obama. Unfortunately, just as it was bad to have Bill Clinton giving a speech about how Donald Trump was doing bad things in the Oval Office, <laughs> It was also bad to have Mr. I'm a, I have a pen and I have a phone and I can legalize DACA doesn't respect the separation of powers, doesn't respect the Constitution. doesn't. You know, like There was just too many cases where, you know, first of all, I don't think there are that many people who, uh, if, if a message from Barack Obama could persuade you not to vote for Donald Trump, Trump would not have won in 2016. I think that's, you know, there's, there's that. He even kind of acknowledged that in the beginning that there may not be that many people left out there who are still undecided or still trying to figure out who to vote for. Um, Clinton's, and I guess this is at the heart of the entire problem with Barack Obama's response to Donald Trump is that if, if Barack Obama had done the kind of job that Barack Obama believes he did, would Donald Trump have been elected president? And I think the answer is no. I I really think you can't. We've talked on this podcast a lot of times about all the flaws of Hillary Clinton's campaign, but she didn't lose it all by herself. If he was a phenomenally successful president, the country would have said, okay, let's continue more of this. She's the next best thing to a third term of Obama. And I think Obama has never really been able to come to grips with that. And last night, as much as it was a better speech than usual, it still talked around the fact that by the end of his two terms of his presidency, America was in a situation where enough people in enough key states were willing to say, Hey, you know what? Let's roll the dice on this Donald Trump guy because what we're getting is just not working for me.
1: Yeah, it was a combination. It was a combination that people were fed up with uh, a lot of the different things that the Obama administration had done. And Hillary was uniquely unlikable, but uh, people had Obama fatigue as much as he and his most. Devoted supporters don't want to believe that that's the case. And it's usually the case after eight years. It's very rare uh, that the same party uh, holds on. Uh, Reagan to Bush is the only one in recent memory that that's that that's happened. And there's a reason that that doesn't happen very often. All right, Jim, well, four years ago, speaking of 2016, uh, Donald Trump scored the upset victory over Hillary Clinton, and he did so with a couple of unconventional people running his campaign. One is Kellyanne Conway, who had spent most of her life as a pollster. I think that was the first campaign she, she ever was at the helm of, and of course, she's still uh, on the president's staff. Then there was Steve Bannon of Breitbart fame, and then he became a presidential counselor, and then in the wake of the Charlottesville mess, uh, he was out. Not too many people knew what he was up to. Now we know. Uh, He's been indicted today. This is CBS News. Federal prosecutors in New York announced Thursday that Steve Bannon, President Trump's former White House chief strategist, has been indicted, along with three others, for allegedly defrauding donors to a $25 million fundraising campaign to build a wall along the southern border. Acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Audrey Strauss, said that Bannon... Brian Colphage, hope I'm saying that right, Andrew Bottolato and Timothy Shea were arrested Thursday morning. Bannon, 66, was taken into custody by agents from the U.S. Postal Service, a law enforcement source said, and is set to appear before a federal judge in Manhattan. Uh, so $25 million. Uh, the donors were repeatedly assured that 100% of the money raised would be used to build the wall, but those claims were false. Both Bannon and Colphage received more than $1 million each Uh, Culfage received more than $350,000, which he then used to pay for home renovations, payments towards a boat, a luxury SUV, a golf cart, jewelry, cosmetic surgery, personal tax payments, and credit card debt. And so, Jim, what do you make of uh, this being the latest installment of Steve Bannon's story? Years and years and years ago, I think somewhere in the first term
0: of Obama, uh, the first time I ever heard of Steve Bannon and encountered him was when he was making his uh, documentary about Steve, uh, Sarah Palin. And I got invited to some bizarre screening facility. A little, it was like somebody's house. It was somewhere in the Washington, D.C. area. I think it was Northern Virginia. And Bannon screened his film, uh, his documentary. And I loved it. I actually thought it was really good. And I had a pleasant conversation with Steve Bannon. And I was like, oh, this is a very interesting guy. He, I, I noticed a lot of like, kind of like cinematic language tricks that he had done. This was propaganda, no two ways about it. This was going to be a film designed for, for fans of Sarah Palin talking about how great she was, but it was really well done propaganda. And almost all documentaries about politics are propaganda in one form or another. Um, and then he ended up running Breitbart after Andrew Breitbart died. I do kind of think if you want to look at the hinge of modern political history, if Andrew Breitbart had not died when he did, uh, in an interview before he died, uh, Breitbart had offered a comment that suggested he was g- extremely skeptical of Donald Trump, that he did not see him as a conservative. He did not see him as somebody who was genuinely in the spirit of the Tea Party and supported all the stuff that had made people join the conservative movement. One of the great tragedies of our time, Andrew Breitbart dies. And control of his organization, the news organization that bore his name was kind of up in the air. A lot of interesting people who, who you know, are talented in the conservative movement ended up leaving in the aftermath of that. Uh, Larry O'Connor, uh, Dana Lash, uh, Ben Shapiro, that a whole bunch of folks who had built Breitbart into what it was left and Breitbart.com turned into the primary media vehicle of the alt-right. And it also turned into just an, an you know, over-the-top, frothing-at-the-mouth, cheerleading you know, vehicle for Donald Trump. It was such over the top that Steve Bannon got selected for the campaign job. And then, of course, he continued to work into the White House until he had his falling out with Trump, which was reportedly created by Bannon talking to Michael Wolf about his book and trashing the Trump children, particularly uh, Ivanka and, uh, and and Jared Kushner. And I also think maybe Don Jr. too. Now, here's the thing. You either have to have a pair of brass ones or rocks in your head to talk to a journalist and talk about how, it, how dumb the president's kids are, if you work for the president, no president is going to keep you in circumstances like that. We feel wonder what was Steve Bannon doing then. This is a, you know, again, he's, is an allegation. My suspicion is you don't bring an indictment like this unless you feel like you've got this, this is all financial crimes. So there's presumably bank records, you know, verifying all this stuff. Uh, I suspect Bannon will attempt to make some sort of plea. We'll see how this shakes out. It's possible. Some judge or jury says not guilty on this, but this is a lot of hot water, and if you're having a, you know, it's it's Thursday, August twentieth. You're having a rough day. Morning's not going great. your you know, summer vacation. You weren't able to do the way you wanted to. Uh, pandemic stinks. You don't know when the kids are going to go back to school, and if they're, you know, we, and uh, all these other. The economy still stinks. Things are bad. Hey, you know what, America? You're having a better morning than Steve Bannon did.
1: That's true. That's true. I'm just reading the Chiron on CNN as we record this right around noon, and apparently Trump has called it a sad event. I assume he had a few more words, but that's all I can read on the screen right now. But um, I, I'm sure the media will have a field day with this since they can obviously mention uh, the Trump connection. So, uh, Jim, we'll see where it goes from here. Tonight we get Joe Biden. Uh, I'm not sure who else is speaking tonight, but... Uh, Just two more hours, people. Two more hours. Or you can just ignore it and we'll fill you in tomorrow one way or the other. But uh, yeah, all of you guys have that option. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I've been impressed at how many people have been going live, I got to say. I have to think, uh, given the stage they built, he's actually going to try to pull this off live, which is not what I would have suggested a couple of weeks ago. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I I suppose for a, a convention that has not had that
0: much drama, here's some real drama. You yeah, know, this, this is a can, can Biden get through this and how is he going to look and is he going to trip over his words at any point? I mean, he's off a teleprompter, so he'll probably be fine. But um, just how is he going to look? We're not getting long serving, big servings of Biden these days. So we'll see how things shake out. But, uh, you know, there's there's some genuine suspense tonight.
1: And uh, if you can get through that and three debates, he's probably the favorite. But uh, that's a big if for Joe Biden right now, given what we've seen lately.
0: All right. Joe. Tune in tonight, America. <laughs>
1: Or not. Everybody, Half the people are going to be tuning in just to see if he can get through the speech, much less what he actually has to say. So, Jim, we'll uh, talk about it tomorrow, I'm sure. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget about the good folks over at Gabby. Take two minutes and see if you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance, gabby.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. We would love to have a five-star rating and a kind review from you. Also, please remember you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.